welcome back. We've got a guest today, Hugo. Hugo, how's it going? I'm good. Thanks for thanks for having me on. No, thank you for accepting us. Hopefully, uh, we didn't scare you off. Um, I've got obviously Simon with me as normal. Um, I suppose we've had such an array of guests recently, um, but I'm quite excited about speaking with you today, Hugo, because I think I don't know the whole area that you're involved in is obviously something that me and Simon are interested in. You know, we've got background in football. Um, but I think also you're an innovator. So I think it's always good to speak to them. I don't know. What do you think, Simon? Well, I've been fortunate enough to be um, on Hugo's course. And I can't remember what cohort I was. It was pretty <laughs> early. I think it might have been six or seven or something like that. And I know you're up well past that now. Um you know, and it's a it's a very good course, really enjoyable. I went on it just to learn more about it, to broaden my knowledge and experience. And um, I see the real value in this area because, you know, my background in mental health and well-being and wanting to make sure that coaches uh, and coach educators uh, keep this at the forefront of the mind. So when I saw this course on offer, it was something I had to go uh, and just experience. So. Hugo, for those um, within the audience who aren't aware of player care or, you know, what it looks like, that landscape, you've been involved in quite for quite a while, probably one of the first, I would say, to work in player care. Would that be accurate or? Uh, yeah, yes, yes and no. I was I, I was the third. We, I, when I joined Southampton, we were the 13th club to hire someone. So right. um, in, in the infancy of it, it's about 10 years ago now, but uh, I definitely... I'm not. I'm definitely not old enough to be one of the pioneers of player care. Um, <laughs> it was the first one was in 2001. Uh, there's a there's a big disagreement in the player care community, which is interesting to nobody except the player care community about which club was first. <laughs> and, um, Everton and Aston Villa have an argument on that. So uh, yeah, depending on who you ask, uh, either Lorna at Villa or or Bill at Everton was the first. But uh, yeah, it's um, it's definitely changed a lot in 22 years. And uh, yeah, we're we're trying to make it as as interesting as possible. Did um, if we start, I suppose, with your your well, your starting point really at Southampton. How did you get into this? Because it it, 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 it it it's not necessarily something you fall into, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I I actually did a stint uh, in America before that, and so I joined from this second division startup team in America. But before that, I'd been coaching, actually, like technically coaching rather than um, sort of dealing with people and. I just wasn't a very good coach, um, so <laughs> it was in a way that I could get a job in football that, that wasn't uh, going to just get me sacked after losing all the games. So, no, I, I, I look, I, I, I've always enjoyed working with people. I've always enjoyed problem solving, sort of management stuff. And so this was kind of a, a job that, that that was up and coming. And to be honest, I, I got lucky at the right time because I, I'd interned at Southampton while I was at uni and they were looking for someone and they kind of remembered me or I'd made a big enough impression to mm. remember me. And um, they kind of called me and said, would you like to come and do this? So I saw it as my ticket to the Premier League and, you know, nine, ten years later, we're sat here and I've got a whole company. So, you know, it's funny how life works out a little bit, but um, I could have been bouncing around America as a rubbish coach, if not. So <laughs> that it happened. <laughs> well, I, I'd be honest, my brother, he he's not doing what you do. He runs kind of coaching uh, camps and also he runs like a, a development program that's linked to Bournemouth. Mm. Um, but he's got his first start in America as well. So he was working at um, San Jose uh, Earthquakes yeah. um, and he was out 
doing youth development type stuff and then kind of wanted to come back to the UK and didn't really know where to go from there. So he kind of leveraged that start. So I suppose is, is that still a route you think that's available to young people now or is it kind of too well trodden now? No, I think it's difficult because you've got to have the the, the the big problem is the visas. So yeah. it, it's not the opportunity. So I'm lucky that I was born in the US. So I have a US passport. I have a British passport. So moving between the two is very, very easy. Um, for young British people, it's quite hard to just get a visa yeah. to work in the US. And then for Americans, it's very difficult to get visas to work in the UK. So, yeah. you know, if you are a dual citizen, it is a fantastic uh, path to take. But if you are not... It's probably not as easy as 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 potentially I or, or your brother made it look, but um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's. It, it, I think any work experience is valuable, whether you're in the US, Australia, you know, wherever. I think is get filling up your CV with with something relevant is important, you know, no matter where it is, really. Yeah, because we first met. Uh, I don't know if you remember at that university day where you came in and did a presentation. I did one from the FA, mm. um, you know. And uh, you were telling some interesting stories about some of the players. I oh, think God. it was one of your strikers. I won't name any names, you know, just to protect <laughs> them and us. Yeah. Um, but uh, he needed some hair gel before the kickoff. And uh, no, yeah. someone yeah. was set off to go and get some hair gel for him. Now, those sort of stories, I, I, we'd like to think they're few and far between. But I think there was another one that I found always entertaining. And I still tell people now. Um, about a peacock in the back garden yeah. as well. Could, could you tell them just, uh, you know, because I, I think some of these anecdotes just give a little bit of insight to some of the things that as a player care person you may encounter on occasion. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I, I think yeah, I'll tell the stories and then I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. kind of say why they're important <laughs> afterwards. So, yeah, the hair gel one, I'd kind of forgotten about that. We were at Newcastle away and um, I think it was with Southampton and uh, one of the players had forgotten his hair gel or run out or something. And it was like his lucky hair gel. And he never played a professional game without <laughs> one brand. And it was kind of like, all right, well, just we'll get you some other hair gel and you can do it. And he's like, no, if I don't have this, I'm refusing to play. <laughs> and I was like, looked, you know, Amazon, I couldn't get it. Amazon same day delivery in Newcastle, you know, 10 years ago. So it was like, okay. So I called the hairdresser in, in Southampton that he used to use and she knew I think she knew someone who was a barber in Newcastle, but he was shot <laughs> and I called him and blah, blah, blah. And we ended up like, I think with something like, I, I think I think I actually remember running around Newcastle town center and we'd arrived at St. James's Park and I picked up off him and then like ran. And I'm not, you know, I'm not that athletic. So me running through Newcastle wouldn't have been great <laughs> for anyone. And I think I like, collapsed the door like 20 minutes before they were going to go warm up so he could do his hair and he was fine. And, you know, I think it's a, probably a, a little bit of a comical example, but really, like, I think the way I would see that is that even if he could, you know, we would have played, and I'm sure he would have done played without his hair gel, like, the fact that he didn't feel fully confident because it was his lucky hair gel or his superstition mm. means it's, yeah. it, why would we exactly, take that yeah. risk if we can, you know, with a bit of, of ingenuity and a bit of uh, time spent, solve that problem and give him confidence why wouldn't we go and do it? Um, I don't think he actually scored that day, so maybe it didn't help. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the, the peacock, again, I mean, like, uh, I, I got a call uh, asking for me to send over a hunter was the exact quote. <laughs> I'm like, a hunter? Like, like I don't maybe my, my translation or the, the line's bad. And, uh, yeah, he, he was like, I was like, what, what do you mean a hunter? He's like, someone who hunts things. And I was like, yeah, that's what I thought you said. But uh, <laughs> isn't a profession in London or in England, really. 
And uh, so I was like, well, what's really the problem? And it was uh, his girlfriend was definitely afraid of birds. And there was this big uh, male peacock sort of the big tail uh, like sat on the on the, the balcony outside. And it was like a resident. So it was like a resident of the apartment building. And I'm like, people love peacocks. You know, they're such mm-hmm. elegant, beautiful birds. You yeah. can't shoot it. Even if you were legally able to go <laughs> So we actually got like a, so I was like, well, why don't we just get an ultrasonic bird scarer? And yeah. so we like bought it on Amazon, 25 quid, stuck it up there, and the bird went and sat on someone else's thing, and it was fine. But again, like, the way I see that is that, you know, you've got a foreign player living in an area, his partner is scared of birds, which I'm not, so I can't, you know, understand that, but I can understand, you know, fear. And, you know, if we can re- remove that stress, I'm sure she was bother- bothering him. Like, please, can you sort this out? He's trying to go out there and push it away or scare it away. It's not going away. <laughs> so if we can take care of it for a £25 fix and mean that he can go to work mm. and worry and he's not going to come back and have the, you know, being moaned to, then then why not? And, yeah, they're like funny, silly examples. But actually, there's always like a serious mm undertone i think to tell the stories in isolation is funny but to, to sort of bring them back to the teaching which is how can we solve people's problems rather than sort of judging them based on our own sort of lenses i think is really really important yeah i yeah. i think that's really important to stress like i obviously you're dealing with professional footballers but i and i like simon and myself and it and obviously you hugo as well i've lived overseas at some yeah. point it, the I think people don't really understand the challenges when you do move to a new place. Um, Obviously even just moving to a new place in the same country can be stressful. But if you think like I I had experience, you know, you had to spend things like getting a bank account set up. I had to get a new driver's license, all of these things, which you don't really kind of envisage you're going to be doing when you go, when you move to somewhere new, but it all has an impact on you and it all has impact, not just on you, but obviously your family, everything like that. So I agree totally. If there's something you can do to help someone settle, regardless of their profession, I suppose it's going to make them that, you know, have less stress, less worries and actually do what they've been brought in to do really. So no, I, I I can, (laughs) Obviously, I'm not an ex. I'm not a professional footballer. I can't uh, kind of sympathise with that bit. But the other yeah. bits, yeah, it, totally, it's it's an issue. Yeah, and I think you know the the other thing that we don't have is the pressure of having to perform on on TV to millions yeah. of people, probably two or three days after they arrive. Sometimes, so yeah. not only is it all of that, but actually, you know, if if you and I go to a you know, to go out and make a mistake, you know, no one will see us make a mistake. But yeah. you know, if you're a big superstar at a club and someone sees you scaring trying to scare a peacock off when you fall off the top of the balcony or whatever it's probably going to end up on tiktok or something pretty quickly so you know i think i think there's a different pressure as well and and also you're an asset to that club Mm. you know Mm. you are a person and that's what we're always focused on but you're also an asset and so if a club spent 50 million pounds on you and you fall off a balcony and break your leg scaring a peacock the club's going to be like well what the hell's going on here? You know, you might lose a value of 20 million pounds or something. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's, it's, there's, there's a big, it's more than just, you know, oh, they're silly, you know, what, what, you know, what idiots, they should just do this themselves. It's, you've got to think about the bigger picture, which, you know, is, is quite difficult because they you know, a lot of the media won't focus on that. They'll just focus on mm-hmm. the silliness of the story. And then there's always yeah. hopefully a, a deeper learning in there. Yeah. I, I was going to say like, the coverage I've read in mainly newspapers and online stuff around, I suppose, the type of service that you provide 
it's seen as a bit of a kind of a, a not comical but it's just yeah. kind of like these people got more money than they know what to do yeah. with or do you know what i mean it, that that the the actual human element of it is always ignored and it's always like you know these people live in a bubble everything but when you phrase it like that in terms of you know what the player's been brought in to do and stuff it makes perfect sense why you'd want to offer this sort of service sure and how many times the same tabloids hammer players for you know their license expires you're a foreign yeah. player that expires you you know and it will always be millionaire player gets pulled over in his half a million pound lamborghini yes and you know what a joke he didn't know this and i'm like if you move to senegal age 19 you're not yeah, going to know the exactly. senegalese driver's license regulations mm. but uh, you know if we try and hold the tabloids to some sort of like common sense or uh whatever then we're going to be you know losing on that one so you know i tend to ignore that kind of stuff because it's like yeah. you know i, I see it all the time you know a, a big club advertise a job yeah. it's you know, looking for a lackey to wipe asses and then like the people who are reading that are not are they're not going to be player care staff they're not going to be you know people who are going to be in positions of influence in the in the in the club so yeah it, it's a bit of fun but yeah it's nonsense really yeah so a major part of our, our podcast is always the inspiration behind things so what helped you transition from being the person who was the player care uh you know officer manager what whatever your title was then to go i need to create something here because i think there's a need so how did you go through that process because that's a, a different skill set completely isn't it yeah probably giving me more credit than i deserve on that one I, I i to be honest with you i was pretty burnt out um by the time i left west ham well by the time i decided to leave west ham um we'd been through covid and and covid was really stressful for I mean, stressful for everybody but but for football clubs in a different way i guess because we you know that we were playing through most of covid really i mean mm -hmm. you know if you remember football was the kind of first thing that came back it was behind mm -hmm. closed doors but the rules would change every every day and it would just be all over the place and you know that, that we were when when the season paused with nine games to go we were level on points in the relegation zone and we knew that we could if we didn't hit the ground running you know we could get relegated you know pretty easily so there's a tremendous amount of pressure on that and I, I kind of basically was just like i gave my all in that kind of i think it ended up being like a 14 month season and i think i maybe had two weeks at home but it wasn't off it was just at home um and by the time we got to december i was just burnt out and i just needed a break mm. my original plan was actually to go um i'd signed up for a charity coaching in, in mauritius and i just thought you they basically you pay like 500 pounds a month they give you accommodation you coach four hours a day and then the rest of the time is your own in mauritius and i was like this is yeah. cool. <laughs> I, mean, I, did, I, did for, I was gonna sign up for three months and i'm gonna just disconnect from the world and fall back in love with football but the problem was is when i handed my notice we were in this like weird october like unlock period where they had yeah. fans at games for one game mm -hmm. and i was like great you know by the time it'll be january lockdown will be over and then we went to a three-month lockdown so i resigned was unemployed and then was locked in my flat for three months and and in that time i was like i'd had the idea for a, some sort of consultancy but i hadn't really thought it through i was too busy too tired the idea was really i was going to have my three months in mauritius really think what i wanted to do and then come back but unfortunately it leaked on like a club fan um channel that i'd fallen out with the club or something like i was leaving and then i was like basically 
it, it, it didn't say it, but it read as if I'd resigned in protest at the running of the club. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to do, you know, I don't want, yeah. it's not true. And I don't want to be known as someone who's like emotional and, and like resigns because they're not happy with something. So then I launched the player care group to show, no, actually, I'm going to do my own thing. Right. But really, like it was it, the, the, when the website went up, I mean, I think it was like November 2020. It was just a website and a name, and I didn't really have an idea of what it was going to be. And then through lockdown, I was kind of stuck at home, and I was like, well, I might as well try and figure this out. And then mm. actually the courses, again, came out of nowhere. I was asked to guest lecture on a course, and then eventually ended up buying the course because I was like, the guy running it couldn't couldn't do it. Um, right. So, but that was never a plan. Like you, mm. There was nothing in my inbox from 2020 about courses ever. It was never a plan. So... Mm. You know, it's just kind of funny how life works out. And and so I think you already say inspiration. It's like, I know this matters and I know this can help players and families and the clubs themselves. But in terms of like this, like holistic, you know, or, or eureka moment where I was like, you know, I'm going to create mm. a one-stop shop for player care around the world. No, it doesn't happen like that. So, um, yeah, I, I could definitely tell you it did, but it, it genuinely didn't happen like that. <laughs> so you've um... surrounded, uh, sorry, Dave. Uh, yeah. You've surrounded yourself with um, some very good people, though, in your staff team. Yeah. And, and how did that come about? Was that already connections you had in the game or did you seek these people or did people gravitate to what you were doing? Yeah. So when we started the course, I, I, Simon, I can't remember who was teaching the course. Was it was it Sue? Or was it Toby? When you, when Sue. You, Sue. Sue. Okay, so and um, Miguel. Da, da, yeah, yeah, Miguel. Yeah. Miguel. Yeah. So, yeah. So we when I joined the course as a guest lecturer, Miguel was already in place. And then there was a guy, Toby, uh, Toby French, who did careers in football. And then Toby left to get a job at the Premier League and basically he wasn't able to continue the course. So I bought it off him. And I needed someone, I wanted a third teacher. And I, I actually didn't know Sue, but I knew of her. I'd heard her speak at a conference. And I just remember thinking like, this, this, this person is really forward thinking, but also she's very different to me and, and would just add something different. And so I messaged her, we chatted and we kind of clicked and, and uh, we brought her on board. And, you know, I think that the thing I love about both Sue and Miguel is that we're all very different people and actually mm. we don't agree on a lot on well, we agree on most stuff, but we don't agree yeah. on everything. And sometimes like we we really get into arguments or discussions i would say and mm. it's really interesting because i you know i love that kind of professional challenge but now with the business we we've added some really good people we've added um we've got dan harris who was a first team coach at a number of clubs uh now and was previously oxford united academy manager and he does our growth and operations and we've just hired a commercial director as of last week who mm -hmm. you know manage he was managing director of um octagon and uh ueg two massive sports agencies who's you know he's he's taken a I, i've been he i would say a step back he would say a step forward in his career to come and join us but to have serious business people like that and you know we've got all sorts of people that sort of helping out behind the scenes as well so i think your staff is your best asset and mm. i'm lucky that people are excited about what we're doing so they we you know we had 270 applicants for our commercial director it shows that people want to come and work here so it gives me the luxury of choice but getting these decisions right is really important and having a good team around you is it, it makes my job so much easier mm. you mentioned obviously what that whole what you experienced when you were leaving West Ham. Yeah. Do you think that kind of thing was, was spurred, you know, spurred you on? Do you think you 
if you hadn't had that, do you think you'd be sitting where you are now? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I think like the way that the company has evolved is so unexpected. Like, like I think if you'd said to me in December 2020, what would year three look like? You know, where we're, you know, three years on as of sort of the next day or two. I don't think I would say <laughs> I could have pointed to where it was. I don't think I was any more hungry or, or, or motivated or whatever. I just think I knew that this was something that was going to be big. I didn't know that I was the right guy to do it or that clubs would buy into me. And actually, initially, I had some meetings with clubs where I didn't really have an idea of what specifically I was doing to help them. And I still have sort of nightmares over my first pitch to a club where I basically said, oh, I'll help you with anything. And they're like, okay, but what specifically does it look like? And I'm like, well, whatever you need. Mm. And they're like, right, but what are we what are we paying you for? And I couldn't I couldn't articulate it because I didn't have at that time a, a structure and a strategy and a, and a document and a guide, you know, guidebooks and theories. It was just like, well, I've done it before so I can help you. And, and that was really weak. And, and, and I literally I remember I just picked a price out of the air and they kind of almost fell off their chair laughing. And the irony is, is that two years later, we regularly get that kind of money that that because it's now more organized and it's more structured yeah. and I have a, a reason why clubs should do it and I can show them the work and I can show them what day one looks like and what day 20 looks like and all of that. And so it was just about kind of trying to prove the, to, to sort of organize my thoughts, organize my offer and how show how, how I can help individuals or clubs or whoever it is. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm not one for like, you know, like uh, I got asked the other day, like, what's a moment of adversity that's helped you out? And I was like, this might sound really bad, but I don't think I've really had much adversity. It's gone pretty well so far. And it's so, like, like <laughs> going, that's great. You know, like I'm sure, it's, you know, I'll probably get hit on a hit by a truck as uh, we're on this podcast. But you know, like it, 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 it's it's gone pretty well. Um, and and I'm motivated by helping people and problem solving and unlocking player care so people value it and care. I, I suppose one thing that comes to mind as you, as you, as you say that obviously is that's ruined our future questions, hasn't it? Simon? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what How do you work through challenges? Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Cut that one. We can re record, re record. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What comes to mind when you're saying about, you know, when you're speaking to the clubs, I suppose, I, I, I suppose I come at this question really. I've, I've got a, a few week old baby in my house. And obviously, you know, I think yesterday was the first time it's kind of been with someone else between me and my wife. And yeah. we've got a high level of, obviously, you'd have to have a high level of trust placing the baby in the care of someone else. I suppose in some ways the clubs, to some degree, I'm not saying it's exactly the same, but a lot of what you're doing is building a level of trust with those clubs. And then once they've got that trust with you, you're kind of, I'm not saying you're in the inner circle, but you're literally dealing with their babies, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, I, not I, I, that I'm not saying the players are babies, but do you know what I mean? The, well, the high value item itself. Yeah, um, I, I, no, I get the analogy. I think I, I, I think we don't look after the players ourselves. We give the clubs the tools to look after yeah. the players better themselves. So we don't actually like I will interview players or speak to them based on like to understand where the, the program's at or, or whatever. But the players don't actually have to trust me or, or, or really yeah. even like me. They just need to sit down in a room with me. And I, I, you know, I don't have a problem with trust because like 
the players just speak to each other and they'll be like, what's this? You know, if they know a West Ham player, they'll be like, what's this Hugo like? And hopefully they say, yeah, it was all right. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I don't have a problem with that, but I'm not actually delivering the work for the club. So I, I'm I'm on an inner circle because I get, you know, I see information, I see secrets and I, you know, I, I, I am in the inner circle in that, but I'm not actually the one who the players need to call. You know, we're trying to teach mm. people to be able to do it themselves so that I'm not on the phone 24 hours a day that that's why i've done this well, yeah. that's not why the only reason i've done it but one of the reasons i've done it is because i didn't want to answer the phone 24 7 for the rest of my life and so now i can train other people to answer the phones 24 hours a day uh, and give them the tools they need to do it better um but it's not about me going in and doing it myself and that's a different skill you know you need a different skill because like when I was a head of department at West Ham, like at Southampton, I wasn't, I was by myself. And then at West Ham, I managed two people and I could do everything that they could do. And I could probably do it myself either to the same standard or better standard, but actually being a good head of department is making sure that you have a function that works, not mm. that you step in and do everything yourself. Mm, yeah. And that's, and a consultant's different to a head of department where I need them to do it better I can't step in at all, really. I can I can maybe have a conversation with them, but I need to convince them or show them how to be better so that they get the wins because I don't need the wins, you know, at a club that I'm working at. So it's just really different in terms of, of you know, being a player care officer to a player, head of player care, to a player care consultant, to a player care teacher. They're all different skills, and that's an evolution that I've enjoyed going through. And sometimes I, I, I struggle with it. I, you know, I, I'm still in the brentford whatsapp group and if they if i see something wrong i'll be like oh god oh i need to i need to change that and i'm like no no i'll i'll deal with it when i'm next day you know i'll speak to them there and i'll just question them and try and get but i could just change it but mm. that's not what my job is you know and so whereas at west ham i would have gone, nope that's not good enough i'll change it myself so it's just about trying to educate and bring people along give them the wins and the confidence and the buy-in internally so that they can succeed so when I um, accessed the course, I thought mm. it was just the course, Hugo. So it's interesting to hear that you actually offer a variety of different elements to the player care group. Would you be able to elaborate on is what the, the, the things that you actually offer, um, you know, to the variety of different clients that you, you deal with? Yeah, I think probably when you did the course, we hadn't done much consulting at that point. Okay, so, yeah. so I think it probably existed, but it hadn't been taken up. Um, yeah, so we we basically have um, two main strands of the business. We have the player care consulting. So we designed a 135-point audit, which clubs can ask, you know, can commission, and mm -hmm. we'll grade them and benchmark them in 135 different areas, level one being the lowest, level four being the highest. And they can get a real sense of where they're strongest, where they're weakest, and then we can help them improve in those areas. Um, and that's we've done that for, for clubs around the world of, of sort of, you know, to the very biggest clubs, to some smaller clubs. Um, and then we have the courses, which are what, what you did, which is our certificate in player care, which is sort of an online, we do do it live in person once a year, um, where we, we teach people who are either in the industry, and that's probably what's changed a little bit from when you did it, Simon, was, um, you know, we had a lot of people who wanted to work in player care then. Mm. Now we probably have half the class currently working in it and want to upskill a bit more. So we have a really nice mix of people. But we've now had, I mean, yeah, you said, uh, I, I did look it up. You, you were on cohort five. And okay, we're, yeah. we're getting to cohort 16 in January. So right. yeah, um, blimey. 250 graduates, 80 of whom now work in the industry in some way. Mm. So really cool to see that level of, of, of buy-in. But then 
there are bits that kind of fall in between. So we will then help clubs recruit staff and we will try and, you know, help our graduates get into jobs at clubs, you know, that helps helps grow uh, the, you know, good player care. Um, so, you know, we, we, we do basically anything that's to do with player care, team operations, that kind of stuff. Uh, we're involved in some way and we're, we're hopefully bringing some new products out in, in, in 2024 um which will make it even more accessible to more people so yeah we're, we're trying to do the, the best we can really because I, I suppose linked to that the consultancy bit there's always the coaching element to uh, the player care officers you would almost see value mm -hmm. in especially those newbies who go in and maybe need a little bit more hand holding because it's not just first team it's academy as well isn't it that these roles are are rolling out is that something where the, the the clients that you're getting now who are working in the industry they're, they're, they're sort of asking for that further depth to um you know information and growth uh, as a play care officer i suppose initially they'll come in at but even yeah. i suppose the the ones that you've probably taught who are now heads of department i imagine yeah. you've got quite a few yeah. um that skill set that they require to keep growing in this area because it is it does seem to me to be expanding uh, yeah. most definitely and the skill set required i imagine is would you say it's unique or would you not i don't know no i, I don't necessarily say it's unique i think it, it's it's because everyone does it slightly differently and i think you know there are you if you interviewed 10 player care people on this podcast i'm not suggesting you do because i'm not sure interesting <laughs> for listeners but you would get 10 very different people you'd have some similarities but you get quite different but yeah you know we the, the work we do with clubs is you know at Brentford, my remit was was to create a player care department, was to cover it myself, and then recruit and restructure. So that was a massive project that I, mm. you know, I, I didn't even know that I had the desire to go and do it, but I, I did do it, and it was been it's been really good. But we ended up doing team operations as well as player care, and now hitting equipment as well. And it, I basically keep getting given departments to to try and fix. <laughs> um, but actually, like that was a really cool project that I'm still involved in now. Um, but then, like when we've gone up to Newcastle, they have a team there that they're they're happy with. It's just about trying to support and give them new ideas because the team have all worked at Newcastle only, whereas I'm now at my fifth, you know, involved in my fifth Premier League club. So, you know, I think every club is different in terms of what they require or what they need, and so we don't really have like a a pack a gold package. It's kind of like let's do a number of days or, or a certain project. But we don't really just say, well, you pick it off the shelf and that's it. Like add it to cart and then buy it. It's let's have a chat. What are your struggles with? Are you struggling to recruit someone? Are you struggling with the quality of your staff? Do you have nothing now and you want to start it? Um, you know, do you just want to see how do you want to prove that you're better than anyone else? You know, what, what is it you're looking for? And then we can kind of adapt to it based on myself and, and the other staff, really. Mm. We spoke uh, a few uh, last week, actually. Um, to and we haven't released the podcast yet so i won't okay. get into too much details on it but we spoke with someone that was talking around more from i suppose it was from football teams but also those investing in football teams both having a better idea of kind of what they're spending on different activities yeah. they're also now got a better idea of the return they're expecting do do clubs i suppose when you're speaking to them now do they look at what you're offering and see or work through what the return on investment would be to deal with, you know, to work with you on that is, is the, is, I suppose, is the industry gone down that route or is it more intangible? I suppose. I think, you know, what, you know, 
I don't know how to really answer this. But the the our, our services are not cheap, but in the in the football sense of the you know football budgets, they are cheap. And, and actually, yeah. like if you've got, I think you know if we if you added up the value of every player in the Premier League, it's something like nine point six billion pounds worth of players. Wow. So. You know, even even if you're paying for me, you know, on a first class uh, trade ticket, you know, it, yeah. it, it, it's value for money because yeah. we are provide. We're basically trying to lower the risk of that player failing at that club, either through something off the pitch or something like that. So it's not saying that if you spend X with me, I will score six more goals or your all players yeah. will sign your contracts. But you know, it's a I believe value for money look and an independent look about what are we doing? What are we doing well? What could we do better? And if we're going to recruit, what is it we really need? Because I think clubs kind of go with, we need a player care person. They need five languages mm. and actually go, well, well, let's look at your squad. You've got 96% British players. And then you've got one Scandinavian bloke who probably speaks English very well. The idea that you need <laughs> German, French, Italian, and Spanish and English means that you're going to rule out a lot of really good player care staff who don't speak other languages or might only speak one language. So, mm. but the, the assumption is always like, well, what do we need them to do? We need them to solve these problems in five languages. Well, what maybe actually what you really need is someone who's more focused on the families because in yeah. interviewing the players, they're very happy, but there's no community for the partners. So why don't we get someone who's much more focused on the family side, maybe someone from a background of, um, nannying or mm. um, it might be like a police liaison you know where they deal with bereaved families it might be someone with who's a mother themselves or a father themselves so we may be looking at different skills and so that's where we can come in and say rather than just kind of like targeting at this or targeting at that you know or guessing why don't we just have a look at it because if you're conceding 50 goals a season you know 50 goals a season more than you should be you don't go hire another striker coach you might hire a defensive mm. coach because you look at the you know and analyze it. So we just try and get people to have to think about it a bit more proactively, a bit more creatively, and a bit more in depth than just going. We need a a body in this role. Let's find that right body. Yeah, that makes sense. You touched obviously on players' home life kind of side of things. Is that I suppose is that one of the bigger challenges in that there's so many moving parts to that. Whereas say I suppose with a foot with a footballer, the I suppose integrating into say a new training regime or into a new club, I'm not saying that's necessarily always that straightforward. But is it more of an unknown rather than the family side of things? I suppose it, it can or it can't be. You know, like I think you know we have so many different people that you know if you sign a 19 um, year old from South Korea who's single, it's going to mm. be a very different proposition to a 35 year old who's moving from you know, Fulham to Brentford yeah. with a family and has only ever lived in London and is a London boy, very yeah. different proposition. So to say, you know, he's probably, the older player's family life might be easier, but actually he might be, I don't know, <laughs> a naughty boy and is, is causing yeah. problems all the time, you know, for, for his <laughs> partner. And not that I've ever seen that happen. Yeah. Um, but but actually the <laughs> Korean lad might be really well organized, really happy and really self-sufficient. So you, you I think it, it's, everything comes together and everything's yeah. important it and, and each player will decide wh where they you know what's important and what's not important it's not about um you know it's always more important to deal with home life it's always more important to deal with you know their personal development or their welfare you know it's, it's what each player needs and it's got to be bespoke yeah. and i think that's what i found fascinating being uh, a person on the group 
uh, and on course was the onboarding process and mm -hmm. how fluid and adaptable that needs to be, yeah. especially around transfer windows, yeah. you know, and how those last minute deals can go through. Yeah. And um, especially if someone's coming in from overseas at that last minute and, you know, like Dave said, all the moving parts on that. So when you're supporting clubs with this, um, you used to factor in, you know, that community element, which I found fascinating. Yeah. And also just the nuts and bolts stuff, like you said, around driver's license, X, Y, Z, yeah. passports. So those bits there, what do you think challenges that people face look like? And how do you go about preempting most of them to make it, you know, more process driven? Yeah, I, I think, you know, getting to that proactive approach is kind of the holy grail of player care where, you yeah. know, you can never be 100% proactive. It's just not mm. possible. But to get to sort of 70, 80% where, you know, you've kind of been there and done it. So, you know, that if they have, you know, I know, for example, the driver's license exchange laws off the top of my head, because I've dealt with it so many times, mm. that you could basically propose a country to me and I would go, no, yes, they can, they can exchange a license. Yes, they could live on, uh, they could drive until they're 70 without exchanging it. Or no, they need to, you know, do a test after six months. Uh, yeah. I'm not suggesting you do test me on that, but like, that's kind of knowledge that, I, I've just done it, looked at it so many times that it's in my head. And so I know when we sign a Danish player that they will be fine. But I know that when we sign an Argentinian player, they will have to get a new license in six months and they'll have to do the test in English, the written test in English. So if their level of English isn't good enough, then I know that they need to be doing English lessons to get to it. Rather than getting a year down the line, they've been pulled over for driving with an expired license. And then I'm like, oh, well, they can't even speak English. So we're now six months away from them even being able to take the test, you know. So mm. it, I think it just comes from experience. But we try and have forms and paperwork and record keeping internally. But but as you said, Simon, they're very malleable and they are a guide. They're not a mm. rule. So mm -hmm. it, it's it's trying to guide us and making sure that we've covered everything. We haven't forgotten something. But actually, if a player really needs something different that normally is like a week six thing, we're not going to say, well, we, sorry, you've got five, five days and uh, five weeks and six days left before we can deal with that. It's like, let's deal with that person. But that's an uh, important thing. So, yeah, you you try to really get as proactive as possible. And it comes from experience, to be honest. Like, um, you know, I, I try and teach the the theories and, and the ways of thinking. But for me to do a course where I taught the solution to every problem, A, I don't think that helps people because they need to, they need to know and figure it out themselves. But B, it would be such a long course that it would probably be some sort of master's level. <laughs> uh, course, I don't have a desire to teach that long a course. Yeah. No, that makes complete sense. Um, because I, I did know, I think there was one person on our course who actually um, was a concierge or had a concierge company up in the northwest somewhere mm. and offered that different type of approach where, yeah. um, you know, and, and there were some interesting things that come through that about, the access they have to people's data and information, which I, I was a little bit taken aback by as a, a person on there. Um, but another thing on here, so I've just trained recently as a mediator, mm. and I imagine that conflict does arise on these occasions. And you've got, obviously, you're, you're working with clubs in the Premier League. Um, they're well-resourced, and they could probably outsource some mediation services to manage conflict. But how does it look lower down the pyramid where resource isn't as great you know what sort of challenges do they face yeah i think you know we're seeing probably 
you know, nearly half the Premier League, uh, sorry, half the Championship clubs will now have somebody. We mm. get a handful in League, in League One and maybe one or two in League Two, uh, having, you know, a full-time player care person or someone at least responsible for it. Um, but the reality is, if you're in League Two, you know, very few of your players are going to be from abroad. You know, mm. the, yeah, the Brexit yeah. rules, the visa rules mean you can't really do it. Um, they don't have scouting networks. So you might have one foreign player. And so actually, like, yes, it's very different to live in Plymouth than it is to live in central London, to live in Yorkshire, whatever. But it's not as big a, you know, a move as it is from, you know, Senegal, North, uh, South Korea to London, you know. So I, I think there is this kind of expectation that players sort themselves out. But there are proactive steps that you can take. So it might be instead of having a player care person, you might have a handbook, a welcome pack, that actually, you know, someone writes it once, they update it once a season, and when a player arrives, they say, look, here are three estate agents, give them a call, here are the best areas to live, here's the two schools, and here's the shopping centre, good luck kind of thing. And yeah. that, but that would make a massive difference at that level yeah. where they're not used to having anything, and that maybe takes a day's work or two days' work to put together. So really, it's we're not looking at... Um, you know, necessarily um, saying that every club has to have a full-time, you know, player care person. I coach at the, uh, or oh, I did coach last season at the non-league level, step seven of non-league. And mm. my biggest issue was that the players there were friends. And so they would go on a stag do together and that my whole back line would go on holiday <laughs> together, um, you know, ahead of the big game. And uh, so that's not something the Premier League guys have to deal with. So, you know, <laughs> my biggest problem there was the floodlights didn't work and the goals would be, you know, locked to the wall and we forgot the key rather than yeah. a player care person. So, so, you know, sometimes we do turn down clients and say, look, you're better off either just hiring someone and figuring it out than paying our expenses or, you know, have a look at really what is your need. Is player care your number one need? Or is, you know, mm. is it better to get a bus to games rather than having all your players to drive, you know, separately? Is that going to have a better impact on performance and player care? I'm not naive to think that player care is, the, you know, if you invest in player care, you will definitely win games. It, it's 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 got to be a combination of everything altogether. Because I, I think um, just on that mediation point that I mentioned there, you know, where we lose a good asset, mm. um, through potential misunderstanding and yeah. conflict not being resolved yeah. you think surely there, there's got to be processes in place to rebuild bridges or get working relationships to a place of functionality and professionalism yeah. is that something that happens where conflict arises because i imagine it's an emotional game football things can happen you know and, and is that something that you support with as well around how to get them just to get back to communicating effectively with each other uh if, you know i think it'd be unlikely that club would call me in on a one-off incident it might be for example where i'm at brentford and i've got a good relationship there it might be something where they said like can you speak to these guys and see what's going on mm. but that's probably you're probably more i think probably in the realms of the pfa potentially but okay the, yeah. the problem is is that football is a game of opinions and so <laughs> Yeah. You could have a, a dossier of stats saying that this is the best player in the world. And if one person, the manager or the sporting director, decides they're rubbish, then they're going to be gone or they're going to be sold. And, and so it, I think sometimes it's, yeah, it's much, I don't know, it almost doesn't matter. And I'm not saying mm. that what you're saying doesn't matter or what, what you offer doesn't matter. It's that it sometimes is just he doesn't fit in or he doesn't mm. he doesn't fit into our system he's the old mother manager player or culturally he's not right or he's negative mm. or whatever um but i think you know it, it's there's i've never seen a player just go from 
fantastic to completely isolated and dropped in a day it, there's usually a lot of different people have a go at, at trying to work with them and so you know one of the things we, we had at Brentford was these um people we, we would focus on the players as people and we would talk through them with a multidisciplinary team so the manager mm -hmm. head of medical uh, nutritionist sports scientists performance director myself and we'd say right let's go through the players All right number one David Raya what, you know what's going on in his life and i'd be like well he's got a dog and he's got this and he's got that his wife's learning english or whatever and then it would be like ah i'm actually i'm gonna go my wife's spanish why don't i get them to meet and have a drink yeah great we're not talking about well his distribution's poor and all is great and and this and that it was whether they're playing or not we were talking about them as people and i think that is a really nice thing to do and it it means that to get to your point earlier simon we have that proactive approach where instead mm. of the pieces where it's a disaster and they're needing mediation it's actually we're trying to make sure that we're preventing those problems coming up as much as possible no that's great and that that makes perfect sense i suppose it goes back to we're talking you know you get all the it's a jigsaw of things i suppose if you yeah. get those bits put into you, you know when you put the bits of the jigsaw together actually what you're providing is the the person that's kind of the focus of it, I, it yeah. is going to be able to do their job really to the best of their means. I, what what you were saying before, obviously around at the lower levels and things like, we had a chat with a with a guy from um, Hungerford Town, right. and he was doing like recruitment for the team. And actually, what he was, what you were just saying, kind of was was just it, it's reminded me. The, his was I get, I get his you know he's not quite the same scenarios as a as a as a league team or a Premier yeah. League team for that matter, but actually a key element of his job is actually to sell the local area and also how quickly those people could integrate into that area as quick yeah. as possible, and yeah. that's like one of his biggest kind of things he has to get right. And I suppose yeah. with him. It, where it was kind of even more than that, it was he was dealing with semi-professional players as well. In that, yeah. part of it was trying to attract people to move to a new area where they'd be playing football, but also where they potentially could get another job. Yeah, um, and actually, the bit that he kind of was good at was finding people. But I think um, I don't know if he was as strong as the player care side of things. But it makes you think that if he gets that right, he'll actually. A club which he may be struggling to get people in suddenly becomes a lot more attractive i suppose in that regard now yeah. I, I, you've obviously got a limited amount of time in the day and stuff like that in terms yeah. of your time but do you have kind of offerings that someone like that could actually pick up and and run with i suppose uh it's something we could definitely do i mean we, we may be coming up with a new product category live on a podcast <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> uh, i mean i yeah I don't know how lucrative it will be. If yeah, well, that, that's that's part of the problem. I think. Yeah. I, you know, I'm quite quite happy in the Premier League. Um, yeah. No, I, do, I, I think. <laughs> I, I think um, look, we 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 believe in, in helping with player care at all levels, and I think you know it. it the, the problem is, is we can't work for free, and so mm, yes. a lot of these clubs, the budgets are so so tight that actually mm. that wouldn't be realistic even to pay you know a, a couple of hours to get something put yeah. together. But you know, I think we are seeing smaller clubs put people on the course which is great uh yeah. you know so they get a basic understanding and we, you know I'll, I'll always help if i can but um you know got to draw a line on it somewhere but yeah i think you know clubs do use player care as a recruitment tool and and, and yeah. knowing that 
you know, when you haven't got the budgets of the big, big clubs or the, or the maybe the, the the reputation to actually say, look, we're going to look after you really bloody well. Um, it is is a real when players have got choices between, you know, if you, if we're talking about Brentford, they could go to Fulham, they could go to Everton, they could go to Aston Villa. Well, maybe they're in Europe, they may be a step above now, but you know what I mean? That the kind of yeah. clubs at our level, we want them to go. Brentford's the one I want to be at. Wow, mm. what a great manager, what a great training ground, what a great stadium, what a great fan base, but also what a great location, you know, West yeah. London, you know, it's going to be really nice. You can have a coffee in Twickenham or you can have a, you know, go for a walk in Richmond or whatever it is. But actually the, the club staff will look after us so well mm. that we don't want to go to Everton and, and live in Liverpool. We want to come to Brentford. And actually if Everton can offer 10 grand a week more, it's not worth it because yeah. we'd rather be there. So I think, that, again, this proactive thing is, getting with the sport director and the scouting team just to try and help sell the club and the area and how the family life is going to look when they sign before they sign so that they can go okay my preference preference is brentford because they can really show us how we're going to live and i've got a partner and two kids i can see where they're going to be go to school like you know i know that school i know what my wife's going to do every day blah 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 that's a massive massive thing when players are making decisions yeah uh, and I think that was something that always come across is, you know, happy wife, happy life sort of thing is where they, they get to that situation where they can perform at their best. Because I, I know you did share a story before where a bill hadn't been paid and people were bashing on a lady's door and her husband yeah. was up um, in, the, in the and he was so like, what's going on down there? And yeah. you can just see how quickly it can escalate and disturb someone's, you know, situation uh, with those misunderstandings. Mm. Now, I imagine you're three years in, in a couple of days. Are new competitors entering into this space? Are you starting to see people trying to replicate your model? And, you know, what sort of challenges does that throw up, if any? Uh, no, is the answer. Oh, um, OK. I and, thought there would be. I thought there would be so something. Much, I mean, we're so much better than... No, no. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah look, I, look, we... There are other player care courses popping up they're right they have every right to do that mm. i want to sign up to that that's their own prerogative i would obviously say that ours is the best and it's a, it's got the most experience and we've got the most experienced teachers and and all of that but yeah if i want to do another course then, then then good luck to them um the consulting i think is probably more difficult to replicate at the moment because if you don't have an experience of having done the job mm. I think you'd struggle if you were a music teacher and you're something like, I'm going to do player care for Premier League. Mm -hmm. I think the club's going to be like, well, sorry, who are you? What are you doing? So, we, we you know, you see kind of organizations pop up and, and either offer, you know, some things around this. So you might see mm. like a mental health support company or you might see a concierge company or you might see a relocation company. But actually, player care consulting, I think we've probably got the, the mark. I've got like without trying to be boastful we've got so much momentum now and mm. we've got an audit that's 135 points that didn't come out overnight you know that that was mm. years of work for us we've we've proven we work with you know in some way with 11 of the 20 premier league clubs like if you want to go with someone else crack on but like you know really like we we, we we've got the the market there the courses you know i think there are other courses out there and people are welcome to do those or but hopefully they would see that we are the best value and the, and the best delivered and all of that. Um, mm -hmm. The consulting though, I think we are at the moment far ahead. 
However, I'm not complacent. And that's why we're looking at new products for, the, for next year and trying to make it more accessible to more people. Because at the moment, it's really only accessible to top, top clubs in terms of finances. Mm. Um, so trying to make it more accessible to clubs either low down the pyramid or abroad is what we're looking to do for 2024. Um, but, you know, like, you know, I, I don't believe I'll be in this position forever. And, and probably at that point, I'll, I'll hopefully have enough money to, to move to the south of France and uh, <laughs> you know, a winery and a bakery. And, and, and I won't have to ever think about football again. But uh, until that happens, we're going to keep going and, and doing our best. Yeah, because I think that's one of the fascinating things is almost a freelance consultancy sort of approach. You know, you could see working for lower down the pyramid where you could go, well, actually, they sit under the player care group. They get our training and education and we endorse them and kite mark them. Um, however, you know, they deal with the clubs at a, a lower level where actually the returns won't be as high because they're not Premier League. But that consultant is quite happy working at that level because it meets their needs and wants. Um, do you see that as a, a, a sort of branch or potential down the, the, the road you don't know i think i i want to stay away from the delivery of player care because it's so much local knowledge and mm. so if plymouth call me and say we want a player care person they don't they have a great person already but if, if they needed if, if they needed someone i'm like well i don't know plymouth i've never been to plymouth i'm trying to then find someone who will be part-time at plymouth and then part-time where there's nowhere yeah. else I, I think the question might be a, a bit different. I was thinking more along the lines that um, you um, you take on consultants who go in and do the consultancy bit that you're doing the audit, mm. but for lower league um, to help. Oh. So they yeah. wouldn't, you know, wouldn't recruit. You wouldn't be recruiting player care. You'd be going. Actually, we need people to do the audit. It's Gillingham that want that. We can't do it, but there's a freelancer in that area that we can outsource that work to. You take right. a commission, that type of, of, of approach, I, I suppose. Yeah, so we, we already have other consultants in the company, so it's not just me, um, and, and they're at different prices. Um, but I think, I don't want to say too much because it's it hasn't been, <laughs> we haven't finished it yet, and so I don't want to announce what we're right. doing. Yeah, yeah, of I course. I would say let's, potentially if you if you get enough interest in this we will do a follow-up episode in like may <laughs> and hopefully you all the exciting announcements and you'll be like that is what hugo is doing and that makes uh, so much sense and that's brilliant so i'm yeah. not going to say yes or no to that simon don't let the cat out of the bag what, just what, yeah. no no i, I think the commercial director <laughs> would kill me if i leaked it out on a podcast so uh, uh but but watch this space and hopefully in six months we will have a solution that is accessible and uh it, it kind of does what you're saying so so yes great minds do think alike simon no i respect that hugo thank you very much and very diplomatically uh, uh yeah you know, i was just waiting for tim to my, my commercial to call me about what have you done what? so yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> i think that was a straight back back towards the boundary so yeah, really yeah, yeah i think that was yeah. Yeah. I, I, I again i don't know if you answered this or not but from from speaking with you today um I suppose going back to that point I was making about trust and things like mm. that, once you have that level of trust with your customers, and in this case, the clubs, mm. do you think you are then in a position to offer other services that may not be directly, you know, built upon what you're doing at the moment, but I don't know, you could move into other areas that are kind of interrelated. I, I, the reason I say that is some of what you've been talking about, um, I've had some exposure to people like IMG, of now endeavor stuff like that that yeah. kind of talent management side of things yeah is that i don't know like that that ultimately that's how was it mark mccormack kind of got it 
it got yeah. going with IMG, but he just obviously was quite lucky in that he got in with some big name golfers, and then it kind of all went from there. But I, yeah. you know, I don't know. Like, are we? Is, yeah. is there I, other offshoots? I suppose. I think we'll need a second follow up episode in a year's time. When we've <laughs> yeah. that one, yeah. but uh, we'll do a whole yeah. series. No um, comment. Yeah. Yeah. No. Look, I think you know, I, I'm very keen at the moment to do football player care consulting very well. And, yeah. and like, I, I think if I start stretching myself too thin, I'm ending up like you know being the jack of all trades and the master of none. Yeah. Um, I think naturally, like when you're in the door and you're trusted, like I, I started off as at Brentford as six weeks of head of player care cover. And I ended up being, you know, restructuring team ops, player care, kit and equipment. Um, I'm now doing bits of academy operations. I'm doing uh, like a well-being. I'm doing all this other stuff that actually was not in my original remit. And, and the actual, the first remit I ever got from them was, help us build a job description for a head of player care. And that's turned into now nine months of full-time work and now, you know, re retained consultancy going forward. And because they see me as a, well, I don't know, you'd have to ask them, but they, they I believe they see me as a problem solver who gets on with people who can actually practically fix things and make them better. And so naturally when you're in somewhere and you enjoy it, and I love going there, it's it, it, great people, great club, um, hopefully, uh another win in the premier league tonight but they 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 you know they, they it's it works for everybody but i'm not going there and out and putting on my website that i can restructure your kit department and make it much yeah. better i don't that's not what i do but i can do do things because i'm a human being with a brain and, and you know like I, I i have enough life experience and management experience in football to be able to do that so like yes there might be projects that we get approached to do which take us a little bit outside player care but I think if I'm focusing on all the other things we could possibly do, then we're going to lose focus on what we're actually doing. So I, I think for now, no. But uh, you know, again, in the in the, the third follow up in in December 2024, <laughs> we might have a whole different uh, conversation. Obviously, we're trying to deviate you slightly here, get get some <laughs> dirt out of you on kind of what the future is. But I suppose where do you see i suppose yourself but also the the business i don't even this time next year like do you have clear goals that you're going to try and uh, you know you're targeting yeah. in the next 12 months or is it i don't know is it quite fluid really well we we we're targeting quite aggressive expansion now i i i for the far, last two and a half years really i've kept it as a very lean business that basically it's a vehicle for me to do teaching and consulting and you know a little yeah. other people as well but we've been quite small um we've recruited this guy tim collins as, as commercial director who was uh he was managing director of octagon and, and uh, ueg big yeah. uh, rights agencies in in the uk to be our to run our sort of commercial side of the business and so but he only started on you know five days ago so we his job is to basically make this a business more than just me was I, I i'm guilty of making it not a charity i think that's unfair you know i'm not that naive but there are certainly a lot of things that we do that don't make commercial sense or it's a passion project or whatever so not saying you're going to see adverts and promoted posts and all that nonsense anytime soon but the idea is basically how can we scale quality independent advice keep the good feeling and good you know respect towards what we're doing but also scale it and make it more accessible to more people and you know make it around the you know like one of the big problems we have with, with consulting around the moment is that you know we have chalks with the mls clubs and you know even leagues in america but 
the cost of flying me out and being mm. in a hotel for three weeks doubles the cost of the project that Brentford would pay because I live in London. So, yeah. you know, it, it, that's a problem that we've got. So that's Tim's job to go and work out, you know, how do we price it where it's accessible to an American market without me going, you know, having to, to, to fly out there and stay in a hotel. And maybe it's we hire an American consultant or maybe it's I base myself there for three months of the year anyway and you know we can do bits remotely or, or whatever it is so i think it's just i i actually don't know and this is probably the least certain i've been about where we'll be in a year for probably since we started the business because it could be amazing or i could lose all my money and lose all the momentum we've had because i've got an expensive hire who you know we there isn't a market for it and i thought there was and i was wrong and i've thrown everything away so i i don't think we really don't hope, hope that's not the case but like I just genuinely couldn't tell you what 12 months will look like at this point because I think we've got so many opportunities and so much excitement going on. So what's coming across to me, Hugo, now as we've spent more time is there's a real entrepreneurial spirit within you. And it is a case of, you know, when I first met you and you were doing that intern, you know, the transition from there to here, <laughs> and you're still relatively young, I would say. Yeah. Are you? Have you met your 30s yet? Or is that oh, still... It's very kind of a city with no hair. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was 30, I'm 33. Yeah. 33. Ah, right. Because I knew you were in and around that sort of time. So yeah, yeah. those Thanks traits to be. Become... I was busting you up for oh, something. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. yeah. Are you out your teens yeah. yet? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're really like when you get 18. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. um, <laughs> so those traits, because that's what we're interested in a lot of the time yeah. on these courses is the traits of these inspirational people, these people who take yeah. bold steps and moves. Where do you think that comes from in yourself to be able to, because like you said, you just committed quite uh, a, a significant investment in this commercial director. And that takes that takes some bravery. It takes a bit of courage to do. So what shaped you to, you know, sort of embrace these sort of challenges and risks and want to take that on? I think, you know, like I, I was genuinely, I think I, I, I was very busy. I had in, in from January to September, I was working six or seven days a week. And so I was very tired, very burnt out. And it was such short notice. I, I basically got three days notice. I, I was hired by Brentford on the 23rd of December and I started on Boxing Day. And from that point, I didn't really have more than a, two days off. You know, and that was so unexpected and so short notice, but it was a great project and I really enjoyed it. And I went away and I booked myself a, a month in the south of France, which I try and do every every year. And I just have to ring fence that for myself, otherwise I'll just work through it. And I went down there and I said, I'm at a crossroads now where I've got some good money in the bank from doing this Brentford and, and Newcastle. I could take six months off a year, live in the south of France and just work hard for six months mm -hmm. and not grow in the business and just be bored and be you know probably get worse at my job and or i put that money i invest it back into hiring a really top commercial mind and really going for it because i i think we've got some good momentum now but mm. if i was sat drinking wine and eating cheese which sounds fantastic <laughs> uh, at the moment but you know in the south of France, and then i see someone's launched the product that we're going to launch in february march and i'm like i had that idea well mm. the world's full of people who had great ideas and never did anything with them and I think I would never forgive myself if someone came and did something and, you know, maybe they make millions, maybe I don't, you know, but, uh, but I think for me not to try it because I want to be lazy, I'm, I'm, 
as Simon has pointed out, I'm very, very young. And so, you know, to, for me to retire now to the south of France, <laughs> age 33, I think is 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 pretty, pretty, pretty poor. So I, I'm going to give it a go, see where we get to. And, and, it, and I think I think probably the reason I can take a, a risk is that I know that with decent confidence that if it if it does go tits up and the business folds, I can go back into player care pretty easily you know like I, I would get a job at a club probably quite quickly and i could earn a good salary and i could go back to working for someone else so for me the risk was in not doing it rather mm -hmm. than doing it and if if it you know it, it, again if, if i lose all my money and i have to go back to doing full-time work for the people that's what i'll do I, I don't think well i genuinely don't think we'll get into that position but if we do it's not like i'm going to be homeless or you know I don't know what I would do with myself. It, there isn't yeah. a risk there. It's a risk of not doing it rather than a risk of doing it. Yeah. And I would assume someone like Marseille could always do with some player care, I suppose. Oh, oh, <laughs> Montpellier, I think, is, is probably oh, a right, yeah. the club. But yes, yes. Marseille, Montpellier. I've been learning French just in case they want to snap me up. So, uh, right. yeah. I'm, I'm, is I'm this late. your come I'm and ready. get me for them? Uh, yeah. yeah. If Montpellier, <laughs> if you're listening, I will happily come and be player care. <laughs> Just, just, I just need to sign in my contract. Unlimited wine and cheese, yeah, exactly, and I'll be yeah, there. Yeah. But exactly. <laughs> yeah. well, joking aside, like, like Simon yeah. says, it, it's always quite interesting um, to speak to people that you, because obviously you bring the passion of what you're doing, and and that's evident in how you're speaking stuff. But as Simon says, is that entrepreneurial flair that mm. you have as well, which you may not necessarily think you have, but you have. Mm. And and I would say, like the way you're speaking as well, like, and I don't think this is going to happen. But if 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 things did go tits up, so to speak, I I think you would, you know, you could lend your skills to really anything and actually grow a business. And I think that's the bit that we have a lot of our listeners that are kind of, I suppose, there are similar to the scenario that you mentioned in that they're either burnt out with what they're doing they're not as motivated or as satisfied with what they're doing and yeah. then they want to then do something else it's that knowing kind of what else to do that kind of seems to kind of flummox a lot of people did you ever have that kind of thought or were you so laser focused on you know this is what i'm going to do I mean, first of all, this has been a lovely ego boost. Uh, <laughs> we definitely will do this again. This is great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I never wanted to be, like, if you were talking about when I'm growing up, I never wanted to be a yeah. player care officer. It didn't exist. I mean, that would have been yeah. a weird thing to dream of. Um, I wanted to work in football. I wanted to be a manager, I guess, but, like, wasn't yeah. really a very good coach. And so it would have been, you know, uh, you know, barely could win a game with my step seven non-league team last year. Uh, so, you know, I, I think, you know, that wasn't realistic. I knew I knew that I wanted to, to work with people and I knew that yeah. I wanted to manage people and get the best out of them. But I don't know that I ever decided I wanted to be in player care. And, and like, I, I've definitely had moments where I've been burnt out by it. And I, you know, I think it, it actually, we, we I was talking about this with someone today is, you know, we have a lot of graduates. We, you know, we've had 250 graduates now come to the course, and we've probably got at any one point 10 or 15 who are desperately looking for work. Like, like they are applying for everything, and they're getting rejection after rejection after rejection. And we've just had a, a had a lady who 
I think, I mean, probably did the course similar point to you. I've got my list of mm. uh, graduates here. Um, I think she was maybe, well, yeah, she was two after you, Simon. Mm. And, and so that was, you know, we're talking about, I think you did it 21, 21. You were talking mm. about two years later. She's finally got a full-time job as of last week. And I, I've spoken to her 10 jobs. She's got to the final two or three and then got rejected. And the perseverance to go home. But I think she kind of got to a point where she's like, I don't even think I want this anymore. Mm, and it's when she didn't have that desperation that she had Mm. to do it actually she goes look i'm gonna do this interview if they offer it to me great if not i don't care and that's when they gone we want you and it's a bit like dating if you if someone is so keen on you you're like you could probably do better you know yeah and and so actually but it's really hard to say to people especially when they're unemployed yeah you should care less but actually like you know i'm recruiting at newcastle right now and i'm getting candidates who are messaging me three times a day to check on their yeah. application and as soon as you do that i'm mm. like not interested anymore like, yeah. like you, you know you're just too much so it's really hard to say but i think like i often didn't really want this and then it's happened and i and i think like that is when i was when, when someone did the course i was just teaching and i had a consulting thing and no one was hiring me and then I just said, okay, we'll just do teaching. We're going to focus on the teaching. We're doing advanced course, all this kind of stuff. And then oh, I'm not allowed to talk about it because it's I'm under NDA, but a very large club, historic club, emailed us out the blue to our general inquiries and said, and I started two weeks later, yeah. like two, two days later, even, you know, and I, that was my, our first client. And I was like, where the fuck did that come from? I hadn't emailed <laughs> anyone about the consulting in six months. Yeah. I hadn't really advertised it. I just talked, you know, and, and actually I asked them after the thing, how did they find me? And they said, well, they saw one of my LinkedIn posts and enjoy that I was talking holistically about player care. And they thought, this guy gets it. We want him in. Hmm. And it was when I didn't really want it anymore that it yeah. came. And that's a really hard thing. And I think until you've actually had that moment happen, it's really hard to tell people don't want something. Because people always say, well, you've got to hustle, you've got to get up at five in the morning. You don't, I don't think. You need to be at peace with walking away. And that's when Mm. I think success will come. And I I think when some when you go to a club, like like I had this with with Newcastle a little bit, where they really wanted me to join before my Brentford contract expired. And I was like, I don't know about this. Eventually the two clubs came to an agreement, but I was like, I'd rather start in October after my holiday. Yeah. Like You'd rather go on holiday for a month than come. And I was like, no, I'd rather do it. I need to do it. And, yeah. then, you know, we, we, we made an agreement. But as soon as I was like, I'm not sure, they wanted a bit more. Yeah, it, it's it's weird. But as you say, it, it, especially when, and I, I've known this in my life as well, like when you're looking for another job or like you haven't got money coming in, if you, you know, someone's saying to you, look, look, just don't care. It's, sure. it's so, it's not that easy to do. And, and yeah. I, I know from like, I'll be honest, this week I had something similar, not I would, I'm looking for a job, but it's just sure. a business venture that I've been involved in. Me and the, the other partner I've been working on it are kind of like, well, do we want to continue down this route as yeah. is? Yeah. Because potentially there's actually more, it's more lucrative doing something else. But yeah. God's law, the minute we said, yeah, I think we move, we pivot, so to speak. Guess what happens next day? You yeah, literally yeah. get customers coming out of nowhere, literally yeah. saying, can we do this? And you're like, 
I thought we weren't doing this anymore yeah. kind of thing. It's, it's, I don't yeah. know what you would call that. Like, I know that people say, like, you shit, like, they always say, like, you say the hustle, like, shouting yeah, out yeah, the universe yeah. and stuff like that. But it's the reverse of it, really. I don't know what the term, it, what you would call this, but it just yeah, seems to have something about it, doesn't it? We need to write a book on this, definitely, because I, you know, I didn't come up with the snazzy term for it. But yeah, I think, like, it's, but it's easy to say, don't hustle when, if you have enough money to live and you, you know, yeah. Like I, I've always had the courses has been my like you know it keeps the company running yeah and then that funds what the rest we want to do so I, I I'm not having a moment where I'm like I need to get working or I'm going to start yeah I'm going to lose my house you know I'm I'm lucky whatever that that's not happened yeah. so I I'm not going to say that works for everybody but I think when you are comfortable in walking away you're comfortable saying yeah. no then that's where you really are stronger and yeah. so you know if people are, are frustrated that's not happening maybe take a month off you know your side yeah. hustle or whatever and come back to it and then you know see where it comes from but yeah i i don't know how you teach that and it, it, i think yeah. we both just allude to it it's really hard to acknowledge that and take that advice until you've actually done it yourself and it's worked yeah. and then yeah. you're like why didn't i do that earlier that's mad so yeah yeah it, it, it's i suppose i compare it it's like it's like jumping off a bridge without the bungee jump rope on, I suppose, or or jumping out playing without the parachute. You're not going to do it. Um, but then I suppose if you've done it and you can see, I suppose you survive it. It's <laughs> probably a horrible analogy, but yeah, I, you, I don't you, think you just... encouraging people to jump off bridges necessarily. No, no, no. So I, think, I think that's one of the things you should care if you are yeah. jumping off a bridge. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, back on that one. Yeah. Uh, Always, yeah, look for the safe assumption. I suppose yeah. maybe, uh, yeah, I, analogies <laughs> maybe not himself from David's analogy. There. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do not endorse his. Uh, but yeah it's it's a real hard one to to kind of firstly like i can't really explain it but yeah. also just to then try and explain it to someone else that they need to take that that yeah. leap of faith what you were saying though that if you can take time away yeah. and use that time to kind of i suppose recover maybe if that's yeah. part of it but also to look at what you're trying to achieve it, it 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 makes such a difference and also especially if we, again we have a lot of people listening that might be starting businesses stuff like that yeah again the other side of it is it, it it will actually help you in the long run because you could actually probably perfect what you're trying to do with that yeah. just having the time to think because mm. you know if you've if you're in so involved in something and it's so all-encompassing sometimes it is hard to kind of get a a high view of what you're actually doing so no i would fully endorse that but yeah it's it's and obviously i do not endorse jumping out of planes without a parachute or <laughs> jumping out a rope yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you, you mentioned one. you mentioned a few times hugo there you're coaching at step seven so does that bring release for you is that something yeah. where that that's uh, uh you know uh, a nice distraction yeah uh yeah yeah yes yes and yes it was right um yeah the problem was i agree the season as manager last year when i had no active consulting mm, yeah. um, or i was in between it and then i ended up when i took the brentford job full time they were training in stratford i'm train i'm working in right. yeah it's a two-hour drive between them and, and like mm. respectfully i'm working with premier league footballers and then driving two hours to coach 
non-Premier League footballers, uh, yeah. Middlesex Division One footballers, um, you know, on a pitch that the floodlights went out and then someone forgot the footballs or, you know, the pitches waterlogged or whatever. And I was like, I enjoyed getting to know the guys and mm. trying to, and I think we needed a reset. And I, it was good. I was the reserves manager for a bigger club and I loved it. But I then when I went to Brentford, I had to go to Brentford and then I just couldn't commit to every weekend I was having to travel with Brentford and then I had to like step away from training and I was missing games and missing training and I lost my ability to commit and then it kind of fell apart so I stepped down at the end of the season um and now I'm on the management committee which is nice but I, I look I enjoy the community football and I needed something to give me a bit of football joy back again but really I enjoyed the social side the camaraderie yeah. the traveling to barnet on a saturday morning with 12 players was not enjoyable uh <laughs> but pulling off an amazing win and going to the pub afterwards was a lot of fun so yeah. it's just different. and i'd never really worked at that level which is kind of strange you know a lot of people work their way up but i i, mm. I started my my real first professional proper club was southampton who finished fifth yeah. in the league that year so I, i'm kind of spoiled in that i have not had to you know earn my stripes at the non-league so actually it was really nice to get back to that but um i'm should if i was still manager i'd be out training in an hour and it is um mm. pretty miserable out there today so i'm quite glad that i'll be uh sat inside instead <laughs> yeah, you, no, are kind of, you are yeah. going downwards definitely going back downwards uh yeah hopefully my player career doesn't uh, doesn't follow well, I'm actually going to be on the grass myself in a minute. I'm taking my son out and uh, I'm supporting the coach on the next pitch to me. Uh, he's doing his coaching qualifications and I'm just giving him some pointers. Amazing. Um, so, um, I'm looking forward to just walking up to the local club and doing that in a moment. So yeah. um, we always ask people, is there a moment so far to date that you're most proud of that you, you look back on fondly and go, you know what, that was a moment that mm. really resonates? Oh, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of different levels of pride. I mean, I was on the bench at Wembley for the Southampton's Cup final in 2017. That was pretty cool. And like that was a moment where you walked out the tunnel at Wembley, you sat on the bench, the Southampton fans were on our right just singing their hearts out and we lost the game. But actually, like that was a moment that will stick with me forever. You know, that's a stuff that dreams are made of is not being on the bench necessarily like i wasn't going to score the winner so uh being on the bench the best i could do i think that's like a you know a moment but i think sometimes they're more like private or personal and um i won't name the name but i think potentially fairly obvious who it would be is i had a player who was in um champions league final and he he called me and said i want you to come as my guest Mm. you know i i appreciate what you've done for me and i want you to come to to the game and 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 be I've got 10 seats on the box. I'd like you to have one of them. And that I hadn't worked with that player for five or six years, but actually, yeah. you know, he looked back and he, you know, for whatever reason felt that I was worthy mm. of a box seat. Um, and annoyingly I was double booked, so I didn't go, but like, it oh, was, no. uh, I was double booked with a Eurovision party as well. So anyway, <laughs> really, I think that, I don't think he'll ever forgive me the fact that I turned down the Champions League final for a Eurovision party, but uh, I'd already invited everyone. So uh, anyway, <laughs> but, um, no, but I think like in all seriousness, that was an unbelievable moment of pride where someone at the top of their game has gone, I, like, I appreciated what you did. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, I think that, that those are kind of moments where you look back and it could just be, 
you know, there's sometimes little moments where it don't, probably don't mean a lot to other people, but actually you, you pick it up. And, and, you know, again, when we started at Brentford, we, I had a, my second day we signed a player and this is me trying to get back into player care. I hadn't done it for 18 months. Um, it was me trying to, two years even, it was me trying to learn everyone's names and learn my way around the training ground. And yet we onboarded Kevin Sharder, who was the signing, you know, in two weeks where they were previously doing it three months. And I remember one of the players going, wait, what? He's, he's done already? Like, mm -hmm. it's not even it's not even the 10th of January. And it was like, yeah, yeah, it's done. And they were like, wow. You know, and like, those are little moments where you go, great. Or it might be, you know, the graduate I just mentioned who finally got a job after two years. And, mm -hmm. you know, the first thing she does is, is give me a call. And there were all little sorts of moments of pride. But I, I don't know they all add up and they're all different and and like now i think i'd be less bothered about going to a cup final i would rather have you know there, there's probably two or three graduates who have been there since the beginning who are still really struggling to get a job hmm. and if one of those two gets a job i would probably shed a tear because i know how much they wanted that and that would be as good as me you know winning a cup final which probably won't happen now so you know i think it's just you you, you change and it, it's mm. how it is really yeah that's great and uh, it's nice to see that you take moments throughout it's not just yeah. there's one big thing it's it's appreciating those small snapshots from a variety of different perspectives rather than just going you know it's these big grandeur ones no sure. actually that sure. it's those little things so thanks for sharing that yeah and you must really love the Eurovision Song Contest. That's all I'll say. <laughs> I, do, I, do, I do really love the Eurovision Song Contest. I think, actually, <laughs> in hindsight, I think it was actually probably quite disrespectful for me to say I'm not coming for the Eurovision Song Contest. But it was abroad, and I was like, oh, the logistics are going to be a pain. I don't have a hotel. Well, I'm going to go alone, all this. And I, you know, I just, I, I should have just slapped myself and said, I'm going. It'll be great. And mm -hmm. I. I think he I actually I now cannot remember if he won or not. So I, th I think he did win that one or he won a different one. Anyway, it was great. And uh, yeah, I, and I missed out. And yeah, I, I probably regret that a little bit. But, um, you know, I, I think also like I, what I said to him actually at the time was, I'm not a fan of your club. <laughs> there will be people who would give everything yeah. to be at that game. I'd yeah. rather see you for a dinner afterwards. Hmm. Like, let's go to a nice restaurant rather yeah. than me going to the Champions League final and taking a seat for. I, I just don't go to games really you know unless i have to so i think that that's what i said to him is i'd rather see you as a person rather than you as a player but in hindsight probably should have gone to that game but anyway you live in london i'll that's, go to i'll go to his next champion league final yeah that's a very good answer that i was <laughs> gonna say but you i agree totally in that as you said there will be people that would give their right arm to oh, be yeah, if that's yeah. their team and stuff like that and and in all seriousness, you know, joking aside, it, it, that that would be someone's dream to do that. And and it, and if that isn't your team, you know, it, it it's not quite the same feeling, is it? So no, I, I, that's a really really good answer. But yeah, who who's your favourite uh, uh, Eurovision uh, winner? Then would you say? Oh oh well, I would say the the best one didn't win. It was uh, Sam Ryder. I was a big oh. fan. He <laughs> was robbed by. Uh, well, actually, we won't criticize Ukraine too much because they've been yeah. a lot. Of <laughs> yeah, we, we can't really be seen to be criticizing. Uh, the Eurovision entry was dog shit, and I cannot. But sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. It was rubbish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah it was dog shit, and it shouldn't have beaten the UK. But that was a real heartbreak. Uh, but yes, anyway, I, you know, I can't believe we're talking about Eurovision, but. Uh, yes. It, you know, it, it's one of those things that, like, you know, it's just a bit, a bit of silly fun. Um, but uh, I think it was, I don't know, I'm not sure who it was that year. But yeah, anyway, that was, 
It's the one time the UK had been good and we got robbed. So anyway, yeah. and then I couldn't get tickets to the one when it was in the UK either. And I, I, I don't pull in favors and I pulled in all my favors and still couldn't get tickets for that. And I was heartbroken. <laughs> so anyway, uh. <laughs> well, it's good to, to hear this variety of interests you've got. You know what I mean? Yeah. Variety is yeah. the spice of life. Um, is, I suppose, like Simon says, we asked like the inspiration side of things the other thing that we do ask and i'll be honest the the, the array of answers we get on this is so diverse okay. originally we asked people like is there like a saying or oh, a statement or we've now extended it to poems we've had quotes we've had everything is there anything like i suppose that you draw on or that you know you reflect on that's kind of not i'm not saying you base your life around it but you know that that you you can draw inspiration from oh not really I, I, i'd say that's not really me i, I i'm yeah i'm not a super serious person as you've probably you know picked up like i i think it gets a bit deep when people have like a quote on the wall or something and yeah. you know I'll, I'll tell you what i'll go with live laugh love just because it's the, the least thing that i would <laughs> ever have but uh no you know i i, I don't know i I, I try and live my life with integrity and I, I like to be impartial and I like to be, you know, ha have respect. And I think I live my life basically, um, you know, in a way that I hope that people respect what I do, but I don't have a, a, a go to phrase or a tattoo on my arm or, or anything like that, which is is a quote or something. So I'm not going to try and pretend that I'm as deep enough to have a poem <laughs> that I read to myself every <laughs> night. <laughs> I've got some very cultured guests, but um, I hated English literature as a kid. And so, no, I, I, well, you, really you know that guest, Hugo, Dr. Naomi Murphy. Yeah. Dr. Naomi came on and shared that nice poem. Yeah. So, okay, yeah. well, I'm not going to speak ill of a fellow course graduate. Yeah, but yeah, of course. She's much more intelligent than I am, and uh, much more cultured. So <laughs> I, I will let her have her poem, and I will, I will go with "Live, Laugh, Love," and then we yeah, can... and that that's a nice summary, to be honest, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? It's, it's quite a, a succinct thing, and like you say, if it it, it epitomizes your approach to life, then uh, I think that is something to be a guide in prison, isn't it? It's, sure. it's something that you live by. So, yeah. um, um, like I say, conscious of time because I do have to jump off, and it yep. feels like. Um, you know, we're cutting things short, but you've already scheduled yourself in for two yeah. other ones, which oh, is no, amazing, yeah. which is nice. So uh, we, we've got them to look forward to in the future as the player care group, but you know, expands and shares more of its, uh, you know, um, great processes and uh, you know the consultancy elements and all the other new exciting things that are coming off the back of, you know, that your team and uh, with this new director, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of exciting times ahead in 2024. So. We, we we'll have to try and fit it in. You're probably yeah. going to be quite busy yourself yeah. as well, um, doing well, lots I'll of make a promise. different we'll, things. We'll find time. We'll find time. Excellent. Between your coaching career and my uh, business, we'll, uh, we'll we'll get it in, Simon. No yeah, that's amazing. So I just want to say, Hugo, thank you. It took us a, a, a couple of backwards and forwards to get this uh, yes. ahead, and you know I appreciate you you being patient with that and coming on and sharing your insights because we yeah. do find that people really do. Um, benefit from the guests that we've got and uh you know what's drove them and how they've got to where they are and like you say it's still evolving still growing so mm. that growth and development will still occur um you know exponentially i i'm very confident about that so i just want to say thank you and uh yeah enjoy christmas yeah have some much. downtime you know don't, don't do too much no um, one i think one last thing because yeah. i know we'll have people that want to 
kind of find out more about you. W- yeah. What's the best way for people to find out more about you, but also uh, what you're working on, I suppose? Yeah, so uh, playercaregroup.co.uk. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, Hugo Schechter. Probably mute me because I do talk quite a lot. So uh, you end up getting uh, Simon's nodding his head that he agrees completely that I talk too much. Uh, but no, yeah, player care group, uh, Instagram, Twitter, whatever it's called now, and uh, LinkedIn, uh, probably the best ways. Player care group, Hugo Schechter, um, or send us an email or whatever. But yeah, you, you can find me. It's not hard to find me. I, I kind of take up every player care space there is. So uh, yeah, I'm sure people will have no problems. Brilliant. And thank you for me as well. This has been a really interesting chat. Like, as Simon says, that flew by. So we'll be looking forward to speaking again next year with updates of how things are are going. But yeah, and I really appreciate you giving us time to go through that. It's really good. No worries. Thank you very much, guys.